As a Jewish community, this week has been one of an array of emotions. Some incredibly joyous and awe-inspiring and grateful, and other emotions that have flowed through us of disappointment, sadness, disillusionment, fear, and then hope. And these emotions that have coursed through, the, through our collective veins this week. Act one, Monday night. We had a Yom Hatzmut celebration here where we gave out over 1,700 tickets. The courtyard was packed to the gills. The main sanctuary was filled with singing and laughter and joy. It was hard to believe that we were celebrating Israel's 69th birthday as we headed into her 70th year. To think that for 2,000 years we dreamed of having the land of Israel and now we are the generation that just happens to be lucky enough to have the state of Israel. Sovereignty. For 2,000 years we designed every sanctuary of ours to face our historic homeland, a land we dreamed of having where we would determine our own fate. Our fate would no longer be determined by whoever was in power at that time. We live in a time where we can now imagine what it would have been like for us if Israel had existed during the Spanish Inquisition or if Israel had existed during Hitler's reign. And the dream, it was not just about safety, not at all. Israel existed in our psyches as our utopia. It's why we all turned our synagogues toward it and as we prayed for a world of peace and perfection. When we lived in a world where we were not in charge, we would say to ourselves, it may not be peaceful here, and you can fill in the blank with whatever location you want in Eastern Europe, Russia, Africa, Spain, you name it. It may not be peaceful here, but in Yerushalayim, it's peaceful. There may be homeless people here, but when we live in Jerusalem, there'll be no homelessness. There may be racism and xenophobia here, but in Israel, there will be none. This is what we dreamt. And then came the miraculous day of 1948 that we declared independence. And we said, and I'm quoting from the document here, after being forcibly exiled from their land, the people kept faith with it throughout their dispersion and never ceased to pray and hope for their return to it and for the restoration and in all of their political freedom. Israel will be based on freedom, justice, and peace as envisioned by the prophets of Israel. It will ensure complete equality of social and political rights to all its inhabitants, irrespective of religion, race, or sex. It will guarantee freedom of religion, conscience, language, education, and culture. It will safeguard the holy places of all religions, and it will be faithful to the principle of the Charter of the United Nations. We took our teachings of peace, and equality which we've been preaching and teaching for generations, and we put it right there in our first document, declaring the founding of the State of Israel. And if that doesn't inspire on you, I'm not sure what will. But you see, even though we wrote down our dreams, we then had to contend with reality. The reality of a war that started on that first day of independence. 
The reality of 1967, when we thought that a second Holocaust was upon us, but miraculously, we won the war in only six days. And now 50 years later, we've been occupying the West Bank ever since, with no clear, safe exit strategy. Even the Consul of General of Israel, he stood right here at this pulpit Monday night, alluding to the fact that the community has pushed him to deal with many difficult issues that exist in Israel. Now, he wasn't specific, but it's safe to assume he's referencing the occupation, the lack of peace, the discrimination against liberal streams of Judaism, economic injustice in Israel, and the list goes on. And with all of our flag-waving and excitement on Yom Hatzmut, there's an awareness that our dream feels like that, a dream from a long time ago. And reality is much more complicated than we could have ever dreamed of. And we as a community are trying to figure out how do you hold both truths at once? And by Tuesday night, we began working toward Israel's 70th year. Act two, the next morning, Wednesday morning. An op-ed in an article was posted in the J about SF State and how its president, Leslie Wong, was mistreating and excluding Jews. Mark Udall, the former head of the University of California system, he wrote just today, stating that Jews are being, quote, excommunicated from San Francisco State. In a shockwave, it ran through the Jewish community of the Bay Area. It spread to LA, and it's made it to rabbis' posts on the East Coast. And now Jews living in Jerusalem have begun to join the conversation of dismay and disbelief. Some of the highest officials in our state are in discussions about the situation on SF State's campus right now. Now the shockwave that hit our community, it was surprise, it was dismay and questioning. How could this happen in 2017? We knew there was anti-Semitism. We knew that there were radical students, but the president of our local university in the city that we helped build is either being caught in the sin of omission or commission or both. The feelings of exasperation, sadness, anger, and shock that our dream of who we are in America, and even more so who we are in San Francisco, we felt a profound dissonance between our dreams and our reality. How could this be? Because this is not what we dreamed of. And with this cacophony of dissonance reverberating through our community, I couldn't help but thinking about a teaching from Rabbi Michael Hatan on the story of Choni, the circle maker found in the Babylonian Talmud. It's in Ta'anit 23a. And it starts off with Rabbi Yochanan saying that the righteous man, Choni the circle maker, he was troubled throughout his entire life concerning the meaning of the verse, when the Lord brought back those that returned to Zion, we were like dreamers. Now, when we were in exile in Babylonia, we were there for 70 years. So he asked, is it possible for 70 years to be like a dream? How could anyone sleep for 70 years? So then one day, Choni, he's journeying along the road, and he sees a man planting a carob tree. And he asks him, how long does it take for that carob tree to produce fruit? The man says, oh, it takes 70 years. 
He says, well, you're not going to be around in 70 years. He goes, well, look, there's carob trees right here. My grandfather, he planted them for me. I implanted them for my grandchild. And then Choni gets tired. He schluffs. He takes a nap. And he schluffs for 70 years. And he wakes up, and he sees these little saplings are now full-grown carob trees. And he says to this man standing there, he goes, are you the one who planted these trees? He goes, no, my grandfather did. He realizes at that point he's been sleeping for 70 years. He runs back to his town. And he asks the question, if the son of Honi the circle maker, his son, is still alive. And the people answer him that his son is dead, but the grandson is still alive. And then he said, I'm Honi the circle maker. And no one would believe him. So he retreated to his safe place, which is the Beit Midrash, the house of study. And he goes in there and he hears the rabbis discussing and arguing and someone says, look, the law is as clear to us as in the days of Honey the circle maker. For whenever he came to the Midrash, he would settle for the scholars. Honey's excited, they remember his name. And he goes, it's me, I'm Honey. And they don't believe him. They don't give him any respect and they think the guy's a liar. At this point, he's devastated. It hurts him deep inside. And he no longer prays about dreaming, but he prays for death. And he dies. And that's how the story ends. Rabbi Michael Hatani points out that Choni has returned to the world that he no longer belongs. All those that knew him and revere him are gone, but he did dream for 70 years. He answers the question. The tragedy is that he proved that he could actually dream for 70 years, but that dream, it does not correspond to the reality that he is in now. In his dream, he had imagined a different outcome than what the reality that he was in. What Honey experiences this dissonance between his dream and his reality, he becomes overwhelmed with the dissonance, and he loses hope, and he detests the present. Even though the carob trees are there and his name is still remembered in the Beit Midrash, it's not as he had dreamed and he can't reconcile it. So he prays for death and he quits. Now for many of us, we sit in 2017 in a reality that none of us had ever dreamed of. And if we are like Honey and all we focus on is the dissonance we will lose hope. We will lose that dream. And like Honey, who no longer prayed to be able to dream, he prayed for it all to end because it was just too much dissonance. If we are a community that only focuses on how Israel has not become the manifestation of our dreams, we will soon forget not only all that she has accomplished, but we will also lose our dreams within us. If we only focus on the fact that SF State feels eerily similar to where we were in the 1950s, we will lose out on the fact that in 2017, within a few days, some of the highest officials in the state of California are aware of this and are having discussions on next steps. Hatani says, to fail to see the miraculous nature of redemption is the greatest failure of all. To withdraw from it, to ignore it and to undermine it is the greatest failure of all. That is the death of Choni in the story. 
What we learn from the story is that it's a dangerous thing to dream for 70 years. Call the Homer. It's even more dangerous to dream for 2,000 years. Because we dreamt of instant redemption being fulfilled. This is a week where we should celebrate, rejoice, and have deep appreciation for where we sit in time. My prayer for me, for us, for all of our community, is to continue our work to build toward making our 2,000-year-old dream align with our reality. Our job is a potent combination of appreciation coupled with dissatisfaction. Shabbat Shalom.